begin this morning by asking you a question, and the question will come up on the side screen, and this is the question. What is the most important thing in shaping a human character? What is the most important thing in shaping human character? Is it uh, books? Is it teaching? Is it solitude? Is it the media? Is it relationships? Or you can just fill in the blank. So what I'd like you to do is give your answer to the person beside you. But what's the most important thing in shaping human character? So talk to the person beside you. Give your answer. Okay, I'll tell you what my answer is. Now, even though I teach for a living, that's how I get paid, that would not be at the top of my list. I would hands down say that when it comes to the importance of creating character in a human being, the most important thing in shaping that soul is other people. In other words, relationships. And you don't have to get big and bad. Some of you are sitting there. It wasn't that hard of a question. You know what I mean? Some of you are like, I got it right. You know? I got it right. Well, folks, we are marked by the people who are in our lives, aren't we? And the big idea that I want you to get this morning is this. The most important people in our lives are those that we give the title friend. The most important people in our lives, are those that we give the title of friends. I mean, I think one of the most important words in the entire world is that of a friend. Now, my Facebook account, I checked it this morning, says that I have 442 friends. And if you're on Facebook enough, people get competitive about that. You know what I learned this morning when I looked at that and it said 442 friends? Facebook is a liar. Facebook is an absolute liar. I don't have 442 friends. I don't. And no matter how many of those that are on Facebook, they're not your friends either. That's why Facebook didn't do so well when it went to the stock market a few weeks ago. Because it's a liar. They're telling you that you have friends that you don't have. We don't have friends like that. Now, we have tons of people that are on our Facebook page. We have hundreds of acquaintances. We have many contacts, but very few of us really have a true friend. And there is nothing like a true friend. In fact, I was thinking about it this week. I'm not so sure that you can uh, have a deep friendship a real deep friendship, and say that you're poor. And in the same light, I'm not sure that you can't have a deep friendship and say that you're rich. And this morning, what I want us to look at is one of the greatest friendships in all of human history. It's a friendship that I think that if we look at, it can improve our friendships and we can grow deeper in those. So if you would, let's look at First Samuel chapter. 18. Now, first of all, you need to understand that Samuel was a prophet. He was a pastor. 
But he wasn't just any pastor. He was like the pastor of, uh, you know, all of Israel. He'd be like Billy Graham today. And uh, he goes and he talks to the first king of Israel, a guy by the name of Saul. And this is what he says. That conversation happens, and then the scripture says, When David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was bound to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took to him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan, and this is wild, Jonathan is the son of Saul, made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that he was wearing and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now last week we talked about Saul, who is the king, and David, who was called to be king um, by God in their relationship. And if you remember, David was trying his hardest to honor God, but Saul wanted to kill David. In fact, three times he throws a javelin at him to try to kill him. Two times he put him in a war situation in which David surely should have been wiped out, but he wasn't. And finally, when nothing else would work, he sent out personal assassins to take out David. And folks, this man was the one who had employed David to work in his court. Now, put yourself in David's shoes for just a second. How many of you have ever had a difficult relationship with your boss? Raise your hand. Okay? How many of you have ever had your boss throw a javelin at you? And not what? Some of you are raising your hands. Not pencils, I mean javelins, you know. I throw pencils at people that I work with, but... No! But think about that, a javelin. And in the midst of this craziness and this turmoil and this hatred, David actually was given an amazing gift. And the gift that we prize as human beings more than anything else, David is given as he's being literally pursued to be killed. And it's the gift of a friend. But it's a strange thing. It's Jonathan. It's the, it's the father of the guy who's trying to kill him is the one who becomes his friend. And Jonathan comes into his life, and the Scripture says, the soul of Jonathan was bound. In other words, it was knit together. It was chained together. It would be translated like that as well, either chained or knit together. And you think about it. These guys should have, of anyone on planet Earth, these two should not be that close. They should not be friends. These two men should be rivals. They should be at each other's throats. Both of them were strong-willed. They were warriors. But Jonathan is the heir of the throne. Jonathan is going to be king when Saul dies. He's been raised to that kind of position. And now David is kind of the golden boy. And David walks in and he's going to take Jonathan's position. He's going to be the king. Jonathan could have been David. And now David was going to block Jonathan 
from becoming king of all of Israel. Now, what are the odds, folks, that the two of them are going to become close friends? You don't expect that, especially in our world. I mean, we don't expect Mitt Romney and Barack Obama pretty soon to hold hands and go, man, I love you, dude. No, 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 no. I love you. I mean, it just doesn't happen that way in our world. But God gives these two men, Jonathan and David, this wonderful gift of friendship. And the two of them, even though everybody else is trying to push them to attack one another, they say, no, we're not going to do that. Instead, they have this soul connection. And Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. And this is what I think. I think that David found that friendship like an anchor to his soul. When everyone else walked away, when no one else was there, all of a sudden, Jonathan was still there because it was his spiritual friend. And he gave him a spiritual lifeline. Then in verse 3, we're told this, that Jonathan made a covenant with David. Now, a covenant is like a binding agreement. It's a commitment. It's a contract. And Jonathan is telling him, he says, I promise you, whatever happens, whatever my father does, whatever people say, regardless of if one of us is up or if one of us is down, no matter what comes, I am for you. I am with you. I am your friend. There is a vow that I'm making today. I will always be there. Then in verse 4 we read, Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that he was wearing and he gave it to David and he gave his armor and even his sword and his belt. Now, why in the world does Jonathan do that? I mean, it's not like today that when we get a real close friendship, we're like, hey, I'm going to take off my shirt. You can have that. You can have my Nike tennis shoes. Um, you know, you can have my uh, jeans, and you give all that away. You don't do that. Well, scholars tell us that it wasn't that kind of casual thing, but this showed some really significant importance. It's likely, very likely, that when Jonathan takes off his royal robe and he gives it to David, what robe is he given to him? It's the robe of the coming king. He's saying, I believe that God has called you to be king. I'm giving you my kingly robe. And he wants David to see this. He wants him to know it. He gives him his armor because he wants him to know that I'm placing authority now from me to you. I am relinquishing my right to be king. You're going to be king. And I think in this verse he's saying something like this. David, when I look at you, I see you as a king. When I look at you, I see you as a person who can do anything, David. I'm for you. I'm never going to walk away. You can do this. You can be the greatest king that Israel will ever have. I'm for you, man. And David, my friend, I want you to remember that if you go through tough times, I'm going to be there. God's going to be there with us. Just remember that I see in you what God sees in you. Don't settle for anything less, David. You are going to be an amazing king. 
Can you imagine how that must have made David feel? Can you imagine the impact that it made on his life? Almost every single day, I get a text from one of my closest friends. And I get a text literally every single day. I mean, if you were to take the word encourager and you looked at it in the dictionary, this guy's face would be right beside it. And he'll send texts like this. These are ones that he's actually sent me. God is going to do amazing things in your life. I just wanted you to know that I'm for you today. I just wanted you to know that no matter what, God is going to use you in some amazing ways. I'm praying for you today. Always know, I got your back. And I'll tell you folks, when I get my cell phone out and I get a text like that, it's like food to my soul. In fact, sometimes I just save some of those texts because on those days when I'm not so sure, I'm reminded that there is somebody who really thinks that Chris can do something in this world. And I think that maybe if there's somebody that thinks that Chris can do something in this world, maybe God thinks Chris can do something in this world. Folks, when you have a friend like that, when you have a friend that is cheering for you in that way, it gets down deep into your soul. And that's what Jonathan and David experienced. Now, was their friendship easy and convenient? Absolutely not. I mean, if your father, you know, is going after your best friend and trying to throw a javelin at him, I mean, it's not probably going to be very easy. And it doesn't kind of fit the model of friendship that we see today. If you would, look at me at 1 Samuel chapter 20. Now, the background of this is that Saul is in a rage. He's still trying to kill David. David knows that Saul is trying to kill him. I mean, you get a javelin thrown at you, you know the person's probably coming after you. And Saul has hid from his son, the second-in-command, Jonathan, that he's coming after him. So David talks to Jonathan, and Jonathan uh, is in a very difficult place. He wants to be loyal to his dad, but he wants to honor his friendship with David. And David says, hey, your dad's trying to kill me. And Jonathan's like, no way. There's no way that he would do that. He would tell me if we were going after somebody. And so Jonathan says, hey, I'm going to find out the truth. Verse 16. Thus Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord seek out the enemies of David. Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own life. And then Jonathan went to meet his father. And I want you to see in this scripture the price of what spiritual friendship really comes down to. Jonathan stood up for David in front of his dad, in front of the king. And he found out that the level 
of his dad's hatred for David was great. Jonathan stands up and in verse 30, it says this. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. He said to him, you son of a perverse, rebellious woman. And understand that that language there is translated because it's the Bible. Okay? But uh, that's not something that you want somebody telling you about your mother. Okay? And uh, it's something that, can you imagine a father telling to a son? I mean, just imagine your dad uh, saying, your mom is a, you know, and just right in there. Saul goes on, do I know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives upon the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Now send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered his father, Saul, (laughs) what a friend. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul threw his spear at him to strike him. So now Saul is trying to take out his own son. So Jonathan knew that it was the decision of his father to put David to death. Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food on the second day of the month, for he grieved for David and because his father had disgraced him. I mean, folks, Jonathan is willing to risk everything. He's willing to risk his future throne. He's willing to risk his place in the family. He's willing to risk his relationship with his dad. He's willing to risk his very life. Why? For his friend. There's nothing in this world, folks, like a deep, connected friendship. Well, David and Jonathan finally say goodbye because it's not a good thing for the two of them to be in any public situation when Saul and all of the army is trying to find David. Look at verse 41. As soon as the boy had gone, that is the armor bearer, David rose from beside the stone heap and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He bowed three times and they kissed each other and wept with each other. David wept the more. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since both of us have sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. And the Scripture says that they separated for a time, and there is only one other time in all of Scripture in which we find that they meet each other. Because Saul has come to kill David, and in verse 16 it says this, Paul's son Jonathan set out and came to David at Horish. There he strengthened his hand through the Lord. He said to him, Do not be afraid, for the hand of my father Saul shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel. And I shall be second to you. My father Saul also knows that this is so. Then the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horish, and Jonathan went home, and they would never see each other again. Just a short time later, Jonathan is killed in battle with his father, Saul. And the dream that they had of David being king and Jonathan being at his right side 
was ended. It was gone. It was never going to happen again. David would go on to be the greatest king that Israel had ever known. But he went on without his friend. And I think that, friend, that day when he found out that his best friend had died in battle, it touched him. It marked his friendship to a point that that would be his friend for the rest of his life. And we find out later on that Jonathan has a crippled son. And David goes and he takes him on and he gives all of the land back to his crippled son, a guy named Mephibosheth that we'll talk about later. I don't know about you, but uh, I have this little uh, plastic container and I keep stuff in there that is important to me. I think everybody has a drawer or something where they keep things that are really special and important. And I just wonder in this, if... um, I just wonder, after Jonathan's death, David went to that every once in a while, and he went to a room by himself, and he closed it off, and he pulled out that robe, and he pulled out that sword, and he poured out that armor, and he, was, he just held it because he missed his friend, because it was so important of what his friend had done for him. But man, it came with a price. Friendship came with a big price. Well, that's an amazing story of friendship. And the question that I want to ask us this morning is this. Can such a friendship like that really exist today? I mean, seriously, can something like that exist today? And I believe with all of my heart that it is God's intent for you to have at least one friendship that's like that, if not more. I think God's desire is that we go through this thing called life with spiritual friendships that are marked with covenants from God. So for the rest of our time, I just want to go through, real quick, five kind of questions that are posed about spiritual friendship. Here's the first one. What is a spiritual friend? What is a spiritual friend? Like I said, many of us have good friends. Maybe they even go to church. But there is a difference between that and a spiritual friend. Here's the definition. A spiritual friend is an intimate, life-giving friend who helps me pay attention to God. A spiritual friend is an intimate, life-giving friend. In other words, I have joy when I'm around that person. It's that relationship that David and Jonathan shared together. And they help me pay attention to God. Now, let me tell you why I think we need this so much, a spiritual friend in our lives. Because I think for many of us, we struggle through a thing called spiritual mindlessness. Spiritual mindlessness. It's kind of like spiritual attention deficit disorder, okay? Have any of you ever done this before? You're reading a book, you're reading a newspaper, you're reading a web page, and you get down to the bottom of that, and you think to yourself, I have absolutely no idea what I just read. Anybody experienced that before? Yeah. You don't have to raise your hand. I mean, I appreciate your honesty. but you know. or, um, or, or how about this? Have you ever been sitting in a message before, and the teacher is up there teaching, and all of a sudden your mind kind of snaps to attention, and you're thinking to yourself, I have no idea what he just said. Anybody experienced that before? Any of you know what question I just asked? 
A spiritual friendship, folks, helps you pay attention to God. Now, we have different kind of relationships, but there is a difference between a spiritual friend and other relationships in our life. And uh, let me just give you an example. Let's say that you have a problem at work. Now, a mentor will come into your world and they will give you some advice. They'll help you out. They'll say, hey, try this or try that. An emotionally uh, supportive friend might give you some sympathy or understanding. They'll kind of give you a shoulder to lean on, kind of make you feel better. Both of those things are important. You need people like that in your life. But this is what a spiritual friend does. They go, how do you think God is speaking to you in the midst of the problem that you're facing at work? How does God want to work through your life in the midst of this? How are you responding to God even in the midst of this problem? That's what a spiritual does, spiritual friend does, because it's a higher level of connection, soul to soul, in which that brother or sister, you're trying to give, help them to pay attention to God in the midst of their world. Here's the second question. How can I find a spiritual friend? How can I find a spiritual friend? Well, I have some bad news for you, and it is this, that this is not something that you or I can just force. I mean, there is no spiritual drive through window in which you can roll your window down and say, I'll take a spiritual friend, and could you supersize him, you know? He just doesn't have an hour. There's no place on the website in which you can look up spiritualfriendship.com and it says next day delivery and, you know, the next day they're like pop out of a box and there's your spiritual friend for life, you know. There is an element of mystery in friendship. Whenever two people come together and they go deep together, they do it life deeply together. Jonathan and David discovered there was a sense of oneness, a sense of connection because of the spiritual focus of God being present in their relationship. Friendship, folks, when it happens, it's simply a gift. It's something that is given to you. It doesn't just come because you create something. It's a gift to you. It's a little bit like going to sleep. How many of you have ever had a really hard time ever going to sleep before, ever in your life? Raise your hand. Sure. Sleep, you see, comes as a gift. But there are some things that you can do to have it come and come more regularly. For instance, you can get a nice bed to lay in. You can turn on the lights. You can close your eyes. You can listen to one of my teachings. And sooner or later, you know, you're like falling asleep. But it just comes as a gift. Well, spiritual friendship is the same way. You can't make it happen. There is a mystery about it, but there are some things that you can do to help yourself get connected in that way. There was a great book centuries ago, in the 12th century actually, called Spiritual Friendship. It was by a monk by the name of Alred. And he was so excited about friendship that he kind of gave these three things that you could pursue spiritual friendship. And the first phrase that he gave was this. He said, you have to search for one. Searching. You search for a spiritual friend. And this involves prayer. You simply ask God, God, I want a spiritual friendship in my life. I want that person to be connected to me. I mean, even Jesus, before he ever called his 12 closest friends, he spent time in prayer asking God, God, would you reveal to me who could be my spiritual friend? 
The second phase that Alred says is testing. You test the water. You test the water. Now, let me be real clear here. Um, It's important to know what to do. It's just as important what not to do. And this is what you don't want to do. You don't call somebody up and say, hey, I'd like to do lunch with you. And then when they sit down and their eyes are barely even focused, all of a sudden you say, I want you to be my spiritual friend. I want to meet with you every single day. And I want to shape our lives together. I'm going to be committed to you for the rest of my life. Because if that person is healthy, folks, guess what they're going to do? They're going to leave the restaurant. And if they don't leave the restaurant, you are in a bigger problem than you could ever imagine. So you test the water. You go slow. You're patient. And you test the relationship a little bit. You take small relational risk. You move from polite conversation to small little risk. And polite conversations, we have those all the time, don't we? I mean, I'm going to give you a question right now, and I'd like you to give me your first response, okay? Here's the question. How are you doing? Well, what? What else? Fine. That's what everybody says. You could have just had a death in your family. How are you doing? We're fine. No, you're not. Your life sucks right now. But it's just polite conversation. Fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Those of you guys who are single, who are here this morning, let's say you're on a date with a girl, a young woman, and she comes up to you and she says, do you think this dress makes me look hippie? What's your response? Any single guys? Yeah. That's why you haven't had a date in a while. You know, I mean... No. You say... No, I didn't even realize you had hips, you know? Now, I'm not suggesting that you go, you know, around on a regular basis and you say things real honestly, you know, and and, and say, did you honestly want to wear that dress? What were you thinking? It was like wide load, beep, 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 you know? No, 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 you don't want to be that honest, okay? But you need to take some relational risk. For example, if there's someone that you think could be a potential spiritual friend, you begin disclosing some of your struggles. Not your deepest, darkest thing you've ever done, but just some small struggle, but a significant one. And then you watch how that person responds. Is there empathy there? Do they understand what you're talking about? Or are they just talking about themselves? Are they wise and discerning? Is there kind of a judgmental attitude? Do they hold the confidentiality? You need to have these kinds of questions in mind as you take these little relational risks. And be in conversation with God, asking God, God, okay, I feel like we're taking this next step. Now can we take a next step? What can I share even more in my relationship, in my friendship? Now, some of you are in this phase of testing the water. If there uh, are some people in your life that you think, hey, this might be a person, then take some small spiritual risks. Schedule a time to get together. Open up about your life with that person. And then as you find that 
person trustworthy, then you share more. You never share a lot unless that person earns trust. But when they earn trust, then you can share more. Here's the third phase. It's the commitment phase. The commitment phase. The Bible calls this a covenant, which we talked about earlier. A deep commitment. Now, this was a picture of my first covenant ever. That's my wedding picture. I look really, really like somebody you don't want your kids around. I mean, a cheesy mustache, big wire-rimmed glasses. Now, my wife hasn't changed at all. She still looks beautiful and lovely. But that was my first covenant. That was my first commitment. And July 23rd, I'm going to be in Kenya with her to celebrate 18 years of marriage. But that was a big thing for us. And covenants are important in marriages. They're important in churches. That's why we have a partner covenant, kind of a a membership deal. They're important in organizations. But you need this for your spiritual friendships as well. Something that you make a commitment to. And David and Jonathan had that, and they reaffirmed it again and again. So how do you get a spiritual friendship? Well, you search it out, and then you test it, and then you commit. Here's the next question. How many spiritual friendships can I expect? Like 50? Probably not 50, okay? I mean, how many of you have 50 intimate, soul-connecting, deeply disclosing, heart-bounding spiritual friendships? How many of you even wonder if your mother likes you, you know? You know, I was thinking about it this week, that in my entire life, there were five people that I could think of that were spiritual friends. I mean, people who knew me inside and out. They knew everything about me. They challenged me. They tried to draw me closer to God. And I've gone years without a spiritual friend. Some of the loneliest times in my life were those moments when I didn't have someone spiritually connecting with me. People wonder sometimes, can you have a spiritual friendship with your spouse? Can a husband and wife have this? I would say that sometimes it can happen, but not always. For example, this week, I get on the phone with my wife, and she's really frustrated. And she's sharing her frustration with me, deeply. And uh, I get off the phone, and I start praying for her. And the only kind of prompting, I didn't hear it audibly, but just kind of in my spirit, I felt like God was saying, remind Jennifer that Satan's on the attack. And so I uh, went up to her, and this is what I said. Hey, I just was praying, and uh, I wanted you to know, that, uh, you know, you need to be reminded Satan's on the attack. And then this is what Chris Bunch said. And by the way, have you been reading your Bible lately? Let's just put it this way. It was not received very well. The spiritual friendship went way down in that moment, okay? So you just got to be careful if you pursue that with your spouse. Sometimes you can push too hard, and it can do more harm than good. I think at the most, so spiritual friendships, I think five at the most. That's the most time, energy, effort that you could actually put into that at one time. And that might be high. It's high for me. I can't do that. I have two spiritual friends in my life right now. It takes a lot of energy to do that. Here's another question. Will my spiritual friendship last a lifetime? 
will my spiritual friendship last a lifetime? The simple answer is not always. Not always. It's kind of a sad answer, actually. But it's the truth. It's an amazing thing when two people do life deeply together and they're friends for their entire life and they're spiritually connected and they're pushing each other and growing with one another. But things happen, folks. Sometimes people move away. Sometimes there's conflicts. Sometimes there's disagreements. And when that happens to you, it's really important to how you respond to it. If you get hurt in a relationship, don't become bitter and angry. If you get hurt, don't wall yourself up from everyone else and don't trust again. It's okay to mourn the loss of a friend and ask for help for a spiritual friend. It's okay that you go out and you try to find someone else. It doesn't mean that you replace that person. I mean, David never found a replacement for Jonathan. But after his death, he reaches out to another friend, a guy by the name of Nathan, that we'll talk about later on. Folks, it's a really important thing to understand this. You never replace a friend. A friend is not a spare tire. A friend is not irreplaceable. You don't replace a friend, but you discover you need friends. Here's the last question. Is spiritual friendship really worth the effort and the time? Is spiritual friendship really worth the effort and the time? And the answer is very simple. Yes! Exclamation part. Yes! I mean, look at David... And Jonathan, they did life deeply together. Now, does it mean when you have spiritual friendship that you're never going to get hurt? No. Look at the two of them. They went through all kinds of pain and hurt. And it means that sometimes you may have your heart broken because of that friendship. But I want you to know that if you close yourself off and you choose not to build other friendships that are spiritual in nature, your heart just gets a little bit more hard every single day. It may be safe to have these friends on Facebook or polite conversations, but your heart eventually gets hard. Now, I realize that some of you are here today, maybe for the first time, and you're like, spiritual friendship, I don't even know what that is. It's like I'm not opposed to it, I just don't know what it is. Others of you have had, for one reason or another, you had a spiritual friend, and now it's gone. And you feel lonely, and you feel hurt, and you're like, I'm not going to try again. Some of you have been searching for a spiritual friend, somebody in your life that you can do life deeply together, but you just haven't found that person yet. And you're tempted to just give up and say, I'm done. Well, I just want to tell you, don't do that. Don't fall into the temptation of all of a sudden walling yourself up from people who could speak deeply into your life. Because I want you to, I just want to say this morning that it is worth it, folks. It is really worth it to have a friend like that. You know, Jonathan was a great warrior. He was the heir to the throne. He was going to be king. I have a feeling that he was going to be a great king. But more than he wanted to be a king, folks, he wanted to be a great friend. And if you think about it, that's what Jesus did too. When Jesus came to planet Earth, everybody wanted him to be king who would destroy the enemies, 
who would take violence and wipe everybody out. And when Jesus came, he said, you know what? I don't want the role of king. I'll put king aside. You know what his greatest title was that he ever received in his life? It was the title of friend of sinners. A friend of yours, a friend of mine. I mean, in the kingdom of God, folks, there is no title that is greater or better than that of friend. And I hope that every single person here would pursue at least one spiritual relationship in their life. And for some of you who are sitting here today, you might be saying, you know what, the reality is, I don't even know this Jesus. I don't know if he's friend worthy. And I just want you to know today that he is friend worthy. He will be your best friend. He'll be the friend that never walks away from you no matter what. When everyone else does, Jesus doesn't walk. You might walk away. He never does. He is the epitome of the word friend. And for some of you today, maybe you would say, you know what, I want him to be friend best friend of my life. I want him to be Lord of my life. Let's stand for closing prayer. If you'd like additional prayer for anything, our prayer team uh, will be up here and so those folks will walk up here if you'd like prayer for anything. They'll be on the side screens there just to, uh, just to pray with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know every single heart that is in this gym this morning. Some hearts are here and they're filled with great joy because they have a spiritual friendship with somebody and they feel so connected and loved and that there's somebody in their life that is for them. I have a feeling that some people here today are like, you know what, I want that. And they're thinking about, I'm going to text somebody. I'm going to make a phone call. I'd encourage you to do that. Do what Jonathan did. Take a step. Take a risk. Some folks are just in the beginning stages, God. They need some encouragement right now because they're searching someone out. Some people have been hurt. They've been wounded by friends. Like, I don't know if I can trust again. I pray, God, that you would do that right now through the power of your Holy Spirit. Help them to trust again. God, would you help your church called the Jar to become a place where friendship flows? Not Facebook kind of friendship, God, but deep, intimate friendship. People who are there who say, you know what, I got your back. I'm for you. I'm with you. Finally, Jesus, there are some people here today, I have no doubt, who they've been thinking about things of God. Maybe they're seeking right now, and today they're wondering, you know what, I wonder if Jesus would really be my best friend, king of my life. And if you're there right now, you don't have to say this out loud. We're not here to embarrass anyone, but if you would just quietly kind of repeat this prayer after me. If you're ready for Jesus to be your best friend, the leader of your life. Jesus Christ, 
I ask you to come into my heart and my life today. I want your friendship. I want your lordship in my life. Make yourself real to me. I want to follow you and know you and trust you. In your name I pray. Amen. If you'd like prayer for anything else, please come up. And if you want to stay for Zumba, Zumba is happening here in Have a great week, everybody.